Hi, I'm James Wedmore, host of the Mind Your Business podcast, and I've built an eight-figure year company selling digital products around my knowledge and expertise. In fact, this is what I've been doing in multiple niches for the past 15 years. And if you've ever wanted to do the same, or maybe you're trying, but you can't seem to get any traction, here's how I can help. As you can guess, you need an audience if you want to sell your stuff, right? But what if I told you that you don't need a big audience. You don't need millions of followers to get started. In fact, we see that it's with just your first 100 leads where you really start getting some momentum. I mean, think about it. Imagine that you're on the stage of a room filled with just 100 people in that audience right now. That's a lot of people. You don't think that a few of them would walk up to you after your talk and ask, hey, how can I keep working with you? Of course they would. And that's why I created your first 100 leads. It's a 14-video step-by-step training mini course that walks you through exactly how to get your first 100 leads fast. And the feedback and results from this free program have been amazing. Diane Shepard said, this is one of the best trainings I've ever taken. Jake Curry said, We have had 753 people sign up for this free training. Are you kidding me? Dan Netting said, I'm currently going through the first 100 leads training, and James, I gotta say, it's brilliant. This training is A to Z complete, and the best part is it's absolutely free. To register, simply click the link in the show notes of this episode. Thanks so much, and I'll see you there. Almost all of the bookkeepers who I've worked with who are starting up, they make the decision as soon as they land it. <clears throat> as soon as they land that first client. So right. once that engagement letter is secured, they will say, okay, you know, as of today, engagement letter signed, I'm going to get that policy in place as of today. So, um, so that's, a, that's, that's a very appropriate uh, kind of approach. Hey, and welcome to the Ambitious Bookkeeper podcast. I am Serena Shoup. I am a CPA and mom of three, and I'm running a virtual bookkeeping business mostly from my home. You're in the right place if you're a bookkeeper, accountant, or an accounting student, and you know that your purpose is bigger than sitting in a cubicle. If you're ready to learn some actionable tips and strategies to help you start and grow a bookkeeping or accounting business, I hope you stick around. Welcome back to the Ambitious Bookkeeper podcast. Today, I have another guest for you. This is Jock. He is the CEO and founder of Risk Desk, an insurance broker and technology company based out of Lexington, Kentucky. He has over 16 years of experience helping businesses manage their risk by delivering market-leading cyber liability, professional liability, and management liability insurance solutions. Before he established Risk Desk in 2017, Jock managed the professional liability portfolio at Excel Catlin and was based in London, New York, and Lexington. He graduated from Washington and Lee University with a BSc in 2004 and has his MBA from New York University. You can reach out to him directly. We will link his information in the show notes, but I wanted to bring him on this podcast because I specifically help bookkeepers and accountants who are just going out on their own. And one of my major recommendations is to always get insurance. And there's a lot of 
there's a lot of options out there. There's also a lot of confusion and what you might need depending on your business model. So I wanted to bring in an expert and help kind of break that down for you. So without further ado, welcome, Jock. Thank you for joining me. Well, thanks for having me, Serena. I appreciate being on your podcast and hopefully I can be of value to you and, uh, and your, your audience today. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of get into it. Um, one of, like I said, one of my recommendations for new business owners is to get uh, insurance, but mm-hmm. a lot of the bookkeepers and accountants I work with, some of us actually, um, most of us are working virtually. So that kind yes. of plays into things the, depending on the type of insurance you need, whether you're virtual or meeting clients in an office. And then the other aspect is a lot of us are doing stuff on the cloud. So I know that kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, it just, there's so much to peel back on that. So what, first off, like, what is your first recommendation for someone that fits that profile is a virtual accountant. And we can also get into accounting versus bookkeeping if we want. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'll let you take it away. Yeah. So, uh, I work extensively with the bookkeeping and accounting uh, community and there there tend to be three products that I get frequently uh, asked about and they tend to be the E&O insurance which is also referred to as professional liability insurance cyber insurance and then general liability insurance and so I think um, what you and I had talked about maybe we can kind of go into each of those different uh, products and help the audience kind of better understand what the benefits of those uh, products are and really the help us to provide a bit of benchmarking or insights and what, what the community does as a, uh, as a whole. Um, and, and, and I'll start off with the, with the E&O insurance, because that really represents a professional's or bookkeeper slash accountant's uh, primary kind of business risk. Right. And that business risk stems from a wrongful act that you have committed or alleged to have committed in the services that you provide to your clients. So what really, really all that means is you mess something up, your client suffers a financial loss, they hold you liable for that that financial loss and looking to you to indemnify indemnify them. And the two kind of key policy benefits represent one, the payment of damages, i.e. what's settled between you as the defendant and uh, the the client who's the plaintiff, and then the payment of any claim expenses or legal expenses incurred to resolve uh, such uh, such a matter. So, from a high level perspective, that is what an ENO or professional liability uh, insurance policy is designed to protect you uh, against. Okay, and so that's the like the minimum that bookkeepers and accountants should have. Yeah, and and it, if I kind of take a step back in terms of the priority, in terms of the, related to the different products that uh, bookkeepers uh, and accountants secure, the E and O and professional liability that is that is kind of the must have. That is, you're starting your business, you 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 you, you you've, you've come come to a certain. As soon as you start your business, that is the number one uh, product that uh, that you want to uh, want to get or evaluate and, and look into. Then, and without kind of jumping ahead, the cyber liability or cyber insurance represents the I'd like to have it. I'll get it at some stage in the uh, future. That depends on timing and budgeting uh, mm-hmm. and pricing, uh, really. And then the general liability is like, hey, you know, 
depending at what stage, what growth phase of your business uh, you are. So it's uh, it's one, two, three. That's how I sort of categorize uh, those uh, those different products. Great. That's really helpful because that's always, I mean, I tell people go get insurance and then they start getting quotes and they're like, well, I don't know really what kind of insurance to get. So I, I always recommend ENO professional um, and cyber, honestly. Yeah. So, um, and then the general liability really only matters if you are meeting, if bringing clients into your office, correct? Correct. Um, it's not extensively, uh, exclusively limited to that exposure, okay. but businesses that benefit most from a general liability policy are businesses that either have a lot of interaction with, uh, uh, like face-to-face interaction with clients, customers, passers-by, vendors, uh, visitors, or businesses that manufacture or produce something. So as a virtual bookkeeper, the likelihood of the, 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 the exposure and comparison to uh, such as uh, like a retail lo- uh, location, for example, mm-hmm. is very different. Again, I'm not saying your exposure is zero, right. but it's it's it, it's very different. Uh, so often, what you see with a general liability uh, policy is <clears throat> that those purchasing decisions are made when you either have an office location and either you know you have visitors who come to to see you or your landlord requires it or there's a common area that um, you may have an exposure through through other businesses uh, visitors and so forth Um, Mm -hmm. that makes sense so have you come across because a lot of I'm I'm assuming there's a lot of us that might be in co-working spaces and things like that have you come across clients of yours that need general liability for working in a co-working space? Or is that something that the co-working space has insurance for? Yeah, so the co-working space will have uh, insurance for, uh, for for that type of exposure. Um, whether, and, and, and it just depends on, uh, on the claim or the scenario, whether you're at fault and they would potentially look to subrogate uh, against you. In some cases, the co-working, and, and it's, it's, it's not many, but some co-working spaces may have a requirement that you carry a, a, a general liability policy. Unlikely, in, uh, in, in it, most of the time, uh, they, and it depends on the size of it. If it's a WeWork, they, you know, they, they, they won't have that. If it's a smaller location or smaller business, sometimes they do have it, but mm-hmm. it, it tends to be, a quote unquote kind of more sophisticated uh, requirement. The most co-working spaces, especially now, they you know they're, they're looking for <laughs> they're they're looking for members. They're looking to have people come into their spots, so they don't want to uh, have it be prohibitive uh, either. Um, right, right. That's actually something that um, came up when I rented. I I rent a very tiny <laughs> room in a an office suite that I share with a few other businesses. Um, and one of the requirements on the, the contract, uh, or the lease agreement yeah. was to have general liability, but I was actually able to negotiate that <laughs> with yeah. the landlord by promising I won't bring clients in because none of my clients live here. So it's yes. not really a risk, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so let's talk about, um, I'm, I'm looking at kind of the notes that we had, the, the next mm-hmm. kind of thing on our list was to talk about the scope of services and how that plays into maybe uh, the type of insurance you have or um, things like that. Because bookkeeping 
it's important to, you know, have your engagement letters, which is something mm-hmm. that you probably talk to your customers about. Exactly. Um, but in your engagement letter, it's important to really kind of explain that because sometimes we call things bookkeeping, but it's actually accounting or consulting. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, if, if, if you think about the, or if you evaluate the, the language of the insurance policy, you can notify the insurer of a claim from a wrongful act that stems from the professional services that you, uh, that you provide. <clears throat> so the definition of professional services is really uh, critical and sort of how you teed me up uh, in terms of the uh, engagement letter and the scope of services that you provide. Uh, to your clients and you try to define that and be uh, in some cases pretty specific about what you will provide and sometimes what you won't uh, provide, Uh, the insurance policy operates in a similar uh, kind of capacity. So what the definition of professional services states is uh, important. And there's really two ways that insurers outline the definition of professional services. The one approach that one set of insurers takes is they will say, hey, Serena, what do you do? And you say, I'm a, as part of the application process and you say, I'm a bookkeeper mm-hmm. and they will say, they will say professional services means bookkeeping full stop. The second approach uh, that another uh, set of insurers will take is say, Hey, Serena, what do you do? You say, I'm a bookkeeper. And they will say bookkeeping falls under the accounting industry group. And as a result, the definition of professional services for that industry group means as a bookkeeper, as a tax preparer, as an enrolled agent, as an accountant, as a CPA, et cetera, et cetera. Regardless whether you provide services in those other capacities or not, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't matter uh, because you will disclose your kind of practice area as part of the application process, but you would automatically be covered for those, uh, you know, for the tax preparation uh, services. And really where it's important is one, if during the course of the policy year, you do decide to provide tax preparation mm-hmm. services that you will the, in approach B, in the latter approach, you will be automatically provide extended coverage to those services. You don't have to notify the insurer. What will happen at the at the renewal process at the subsequent policy year? You'll obviously say, "Hey, I'm doing tax preparation services now." So that could have an impact on the renewal terms or on the premium, but it's not going to jeopardize. Uh, it's not going to jeopardize your active uh, policy. The the, the second uh, item to consider. And especially for your um, for your audience is if there is an overlap into other professionals or into in, into other services, let's say accounting. Um, and I know you're uh, you're accountant by background. Mm-hmm. If 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 an allegation is made against you for a wrongful act stemming from accounting services, if it doesn't say accounting under the definition of professional services, it could represent a gap gray area whether the insurer would cover that or not if it's just limited uh, to bookkeeping so and again i'm not providing any kind of coverage interpretation each insurer will evaluate the claim on its own uh, own merits but the you may be held to a higher standard if you are qualified as an accountant um, so, so so that's certainly something uh, certainly something to kind of consider yeah so what that means for our listeners to break it down a little bit is If you are like me and you came from maybe a corporate background, you have your accounting degree or a CPA license Mm -hmm. or both really can't have a CPA without a degree, but um, 
if you have that in your background, even if you are only running a bookkeeping firm and not providing actual CPA services, it kind of depends on what your client is interpreting, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. And so if you think about it from the client's perspective or from the, uh, from the uh, plaintiff, they will try to cast a pretty wide uh, net in terms right. of who they're targeting and in terms of what the allegations are. And if they say, you know, CPA is always held to a higher uh, standard. So that could, um, that could mean that, okay, if, if they know you're qualified as a CPA, they could make an allegation, hey, you provided these CPA services, you failed Mm-hmm. in the xyz and as a result you know our damages or our, our demand for damages is x versus uh, versus y so that's uh, and you know you, you talked about the engagement letter from a risk management perspective that's the that's pretty much the number one thing to uh, to kind of focus on in terms of managing your exposures is what are you promising or what are you committing yourself to, do, uh, to doing? And so if you know you're a CPA or you're qualified as a CPA and you say, hey, I'm not providing any CPA services or you know, the, the first line of defense is what does the engagement letter say? Okay. And especially in the scope of services or the allegations that are alleged in context of the scope of services that you promised to do or provide. Right. So anyone listening, if you are not going to be providing tax or audit or the typical CPA services, you definitely need to say that in your engagement letter, because if you are like me and you have your CPA license, you have to be very explicit that even though I'm a licensed CPA, I'm not providing those types of services. We are strictly doing bookkeeping and consulting. So basically what you're saying is it's best to work with an insurance provider that specializes with the accounting industry and can have a a broader uh, definition of those professional services so that you're better covered, right? In in one way, yes. Um, And without selling against myself, uh, you know, if you're purely, if if you're a startup bookkeeper, you're purely going to focus on bookkeeping services. And the definition of professional services means bookkeeping as with approach A or bookkeeping, tax preparation, accounting, et cetera, et cetera. If it's purely bookkeeping from the definition of professional services between those two, it shouldn't really make a difference. Now, again, I'm not providing coverage interpretation and each insurer is going to evaluate it right. uh, separately, but I'm not trying to scare anyone, but it's just, you know, there's a couple of best practices, actions you can take mm-hmm. in terms of managing your insurance policy, making sure that the definition of professional services matches the scope of services uh, that you provide is one of those things. You know, approach B sort of makes it easier for everyone involved and also for the broker or the agent and the insurer because it eliminates that, uh, that gray area. And sometimes mm-hmm. it is a gray area. Um, but again, if you know, I know, you know, I work with a lot of bookkeepers who go down the path of uh, approach A and they're perfectly uh, happy with that. Um, yeah. So, and it, I'm, I'm, not, I'm certainly not suggesting those insurers uh, are not paying claims. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to <laughs> allude to. Right. So. Right. And uh, it also helps from the perspective of the bookkeeping or accounting business owner in case they want to expand their suite exactly. of services, right? And exactly. grow. So um, yeah. And it's, it's great to have this conversation. So people are aware of, okay, well, if I do have that kind of policy, policy, then I need to make sure to let my insurance provider know that mm-hmm. I'm expanding my services before the renewal period. Otherwise, you know. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Great to know.
So the, the, the second kind of best practice uh, item that I have in terms of the insurance policy, which I always recommend to, uh, to, to check is this concept around the uh, retroactive date. Okay. And I apologize if this is going to get a little technical, but just bear with me. I think um, they can handle it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So professional liability or ENO policies are written on a claims made basis. That means that you can notify the insurer for, uh, of a claim that for a wrongful act that either occurs during the policy period or on or after the retroactive date. So if you think about just that first part of the statement, a wrongful act that occurs during the policy uh, period and a claim that is made. If you, over the next 12 months, the likelihood of you providing services today, your client suffering a financial loss today and holding you uh, responsible for that and commencing litigation is highly unlikely. It all happening in one day. So there's a duration of time that exists between when that wrongful act is committed or alleged to have committed and the litigation is, uh, is commenced or the, or the allegation is, uh, is made against you. Right. Mm-hmm. So what, so if you think about the, and, and we sort of refer to as a, 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 a tail exposure. So in most cases, the, 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 the claim for a wrongful act won't be for a wrongful act that's committed during the policy period. It's uh, that wrongful act was committed uh, at, a, at, a, at a prior, uh, at a prior stage. So what in, in prior, during prior policy periods. So what insurers have done, they've basically said, Hey, we will establish a point in time from when forward a claim uh, or a wrongful act is covered. Um, and that point in time is, uh, is defined as the retroactive date. So if you buy a new policy today, it says, you know, November 1st, 2021 is effective date of the policy. The retroactive date is November 1st, 2021. In 12 months time, your policy will renew. The policy period will advance by one year, but it's critical that the retroactive date remains 11-1-2021. So you will always, that's one thing you always want to check because if, if that advances, then basically any exposure over the, the, uh, the, the next 12 months would not be covered by the, uh, by the subsequent policy period. So what, what that means, it, it, it doesn't really matter who the insurer is at the time that the wrongful act is committed. It's the critical thing is who's the insurer at the time that you have the active policy and how far back does that policy go in terms of the wrongful acts that are covered. So I'll just pause there for a moment because I threw quite a bit at you there, but uh, uh, fire away any questions or any kind of clarification to um, uh, yeah. that you may need. So that's why it's so important to get insurance when you first open. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> You're spot on because if you trade for a couple couple months or six months or, or a year, and then in the future you buy an E and O policy, you know you may not the insurer may not want to backdate those uh, uh, the retroactive date for those exposures because they can may they, they're going to ask themselves a question: Well, why are you buying an insurance policy now? Why have you been doing providing services for six to twelve months? Is there something we don't know, or are you expecting a claim, and that's why you? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Have you messed something up? And that's why you, you, you're buying an insurance policy uh, now. Wow. So this is really also good information for us to take back to our clients to ensure that 
they're taking necessary steps as a business owner to stay covered for things as well. Um, I mean, if you're in my world, that's one of the first things on my checklist for starting a bookkeeping business is getting insurance. And it doesn't mean you have to get insurance before you ever land a client, does it? Mm -hmm. Because I, I, I always recommend it's like, once you like have that first discovery call, it looks like it's going to go well. Like that's when you <laughs> things yeah. are validated. That's when you can buy insurance. You don't have to do it ahead of time necessarily. No, you don't necessarily have to. There, there is an exposure um, because you could be, you could be providing advice. or so some, mm-hmm. uh, a service to your client, even though, or prospective client, even though they're, they're not a client yet that they may take and say, Oh, Serena said I should do X, Y, Z, and I've done that. And now stuff for the financialists. They never, may, they may have never become a client, so there could be an exposure uh, uh, through that. Likelihood, though, is pretty uh, limited. Again, I'm not saying that it's there's no exposure, but right. uh, it is pretty, uh, it is pretty benign. Um, so, so that kind of talks to two things. One is obviously the retroactive date, uh, but then also the second piece is under the definition of professional services, broader policies will provide you. It will extend coverage for services rendered on a pro bono basis. Mm. Uh, meaning, if you have, if, if you're engaged in an RFP or if you, you know, provide some uh, advice to a prospect or someone, and they don't, they don't compensate you for it. I, they don't pay a fee, or uh, you, you're not charging them for it. They could be that would extend coverage uh, to those uh, to those kind of engagements or quote unquote engagements. Um, okay, interesting. Yeah. I know. And, and many, not many, but uh, certain insurance policies, they won't, they just say, Hey, we want you to be a client and uh, uh, you have to be, we will only have a, a claim stemming from a client or start where you have been compensated for a fee or, uh, or, or money. So that would exclude anyone doing like voluntary volunteer work for like being a treasurer exactly. on a, a board of directors or something. So that's also exactly. good to know. <laughs> Exactly. Because <laughs> CPAs are always being asked to sit on boards uh, or act as a treasurer or, or secretaries of nonprofits. So this is all really great information. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. Um, and just kind of while we're sort of down the best practices route and you asked, hey, when's the best time to buy an insurance policy? Uh, mm-hmm. Again, not to suggest you, know, you have an exposure. Again, just trying to provide a little context of what uh, uh, what your or what your audience's peers are, are are doing when they make the purchasing decision and most of in fact almost all of the bookkeepers who i've worked with who are starting up they make the decision as soon as they land that <clears throat> as soon as they land that first client so right. once that engagement letter is secured they will say okay you know as of today engagement letter signed i'm going to get that policy in place as of today so um so that's a that's that's a very appropriate uh, kind of approach and again sometimes you know you just don't know how long it takes to get that first client sometimes it happens really quickly and other times it doesn't happen uh until a couple months down the line so it, it just yeah. it just depends yeah that's kind of that's been the general advice that i give to you because you know that it's it's not always cheap to get insurance no. No. <laughs> you want to make sure you're going to have money coming in to cover that cost exactly so, um, but that's a lot cheaper to start up a virtual bookkeeping business than most other forms of, <laughs> the overheads of are businesses. Lower, right? Yeah. So like if, if mainly the only thing that you really have to outlay cash for at the beginning is an insurance policy and a computer. <laughs> yeah. So. 
some course content maybe. So Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So let's get into, since we're kind of talking about being a virtual bookkeeper, can we talk a little bit about cybersecurity and <clears throat> how important that might be for working on the cloud versus, or maybe it, maybe it doesn't matter whether you're on the cloud or not. How important is it? We'll be back after a quick break. This episode of the Ambitious Bookkeeper podcast is sponsored by my brand new free training, The Ultimate Guide to Creating a Profitable Bookkeeping Business. In just one hour, you will learn three keys to creating and launching a profitable bookkeeping business. We will map out your path to creating a bookkeeping or accounting business that keeps you in control of your time, priorities, and expertise. From someone who built a six-figure firm on part-time hours. That's right. You can stay in control of your time, keep family as your priority, and serve your clients well. It just takes a little strategy up front, and I'm going to help you with that during this free training. So head over to the show notes to sign up now for the next training and find out how you can choose the work you do, kick imposter syndrome to the curb, use tech to be super efficient, which all leads to a profitable business. Just head on over to ambitiousbookkeeper.com slash training, and I will see you there. Yes, yeah, so cyber, the wonderful world of cyber insurance and cyber security, um, that segment, as everyone probably can appreciate, has been getting a lot of attention uh, over the last uh, 24 months. And if I kind of wind back maybe to 10 years ago in terms of the cyber threats uh, that businesses are faced with, about 10 years ago, the typical type of cyber threat represented a data breach or a hacking event. That then led a business to lose information. And as a result of that loss of information incurred expenses related to credit monitoring costs or notification uh, expenses, IT forensic expenses to identify where that, where that, uh, where the, how the breach occurred, um, data restoration expenses, et cetera. So a long, long list of things. And so from a very kind of basic perspective, how businesses evaluated their cyber risk was one to say, do I, do I operate in a high risk industry? Think financial services or healthcare. And then what information do I possess or access? Is it sensitive information like credit card information, social security numbers, names, addresses, financial records, uh, my clients' uh, details, et cetera? And how much of that information do I uh, do do I have? Um, so if you if you kind of so so most of the threat revolved around information and the sensitivity of information. If you fast forward to today, very popular threats or very popular cyber attacks represent the most one very popular one right now with uh, cyber criminals is a ransomware attack. And for those of you who don't know what ransomware is, it basically means a virus is uploaded into a system, your software and your hardware is uh, disabled, a black screen pops up and it says, pay, pay X amount of Bitcoin to this, uh, to this account and we will send you the decryption key. So what that's done is if you think about the risk or the exposure, the risk, it's, it's changed it's changed it to an operational risk because if you if you prevent it from serving your clients or doing business, 
you've got a problem you're handcuffed mm-hmm. so what the so 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 that operational risk has really changed um change the demand for the insurance product uh, and it's 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 almost industry agnostic it doesn't really matter if you in a high high risk industry such as uh, financial services or healthcare it 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 doesn't matter the cyber criminals they don't care it doesn't matter if you've got sensitive information <clears throat> or or how or how much information uh, you have now they can leverage that information to drive up the ransom demand but you are still you are a greater risk today from a cyber security incident than you were maybe 10, uh, 10 years ago because of the nature of the threats that have evolved over time. Right. Um, and every business has a technology component now. Exactly. So, um, yeah, whether it's running your machinery or if it's just accessing QuickBooks, right? Exactly. And so if you kind of think, if, if you sort of think about, okay, how do you, how do you manage your risk and uh, what, what are the risk management strategies that you can, can adopt? There's sort of three pillars that I kind of think about uh, in terms of the, that fall under the risk mitigation and the risk transfer bucket. And they, they represent one general awareness and ed- education. Um, that's first and foremost, uh, you know, you, if you see something and uh, see an article about, oh, here's a, here's a ransomware attack, you know, maybe pay a little more attention to that than you had uh, in the past. Mm. Educate yourself. You know, if there's a cybersecurity course that you can take, um, especially one that's geared towards bookkeepers, maybe, um, maybe consider uh, taking that. Um, then you sort of go into that next, uh, that next pillar, which is the best practices piece. It's like, okay, well, what, what can you do to reduce or mitigate, uh, mitigate your, 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 your exposure? Um, and there's a couple questions, uh, and so I work with the bookkeeping community, and we, from an insurance perspective, insurers are asking more questions over the last have been asking more questions over the last 12, uh, uh, 12 months because they have been suffering uh, greater losses in their mm-hmm. portfolios, and so they they basically identified correlations between what businesses are doing and aren't doing in terms. And that they can lead to a more profitable uh, portfolio or a profitable <laughs> portfolio. And so they are starting to mandate that the businesses adopt some of these best practices. So things like, I, know, I assume you were just going to ask what, uh, yep. what, what are some of these questions, but uh, <laughs> things like, do you use multi-factor authentication when accessing uh, a network? You know, think about that. You, you log into your, your, your bank account and you get a, put in your password and you get a text message with that uh, four or six digit uh, code. That's what multi-factor authentication is. There's like mm-hmm. another, another level of, of verifying the authenticity of that uh, request. And that's, that's pretty much the number one thing that insurers are asking uh, right now. They, um, it's in many cases, if you don't have that in place, they won't even offer you insurance terms. Um, another thing that they're asking about is, do you verify the authenticity of any changes to bank account uh, information or bank details? So you know, the typical type of scenarios, someone emails and says, hey, my bank account information has changed. Please, uh, uh, please update it uh, with, with this. If you don't call back and, uh, and ch- uh, to check if that request is authentic, you've got a problem. Uh, and mm-hmm. if you do make that, uh, make that change. So risk management, they're looking at, hey, do you, do you kind of follow these, uh, these processes and protocols? Yeah. 
And you always kind of assume that, and this is something that now I, I need to make sure, right, our, my team, everyone on the team is also educated on because yes. you always assume that if, well, if I know and I'm doing it, then surely my whole team is, but it's not always second nature to everybody, especially if they are not as tech savvy. But for an example, at my old company, um, that that happened, the someone, a vendor, quote unquote, <laughs> Mm -hmm. emailed and said, our bank details are changed. Please send it here instead of there. Cause we would wire exactly. information yep. and huge, huge checks, like 50,000, hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. Like it was a big amount of money. It was someone's entire salary and they were just like, okay. And they didn't even question it. Yep. And, um, it was fraud. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, that's one thing that if you are working with a team, even if it's a team of contractors, make sure that they are using two-factor authentication and they are yep. they understand those kinds of risks. Um, don't ever change something based on an email like that unless you know you've gotten confirmation. Yeah, and so so these and um, education and making that available to pretty much the entire organization or the entire business, including yourself is it, it goes a long way. That's also one of the requirements that insurers have. It's like, and sometimes it's sort of, whittled, Hey, if is everyone at a certain level of anyone involved in you know, wiring money, are they educated or, or do, do they have access to, are, are they getting the proper, <clears throat> we call it social engineering fraud uh, training. Uh, and so the email piece is one of it, but they also use, they also use social engineering to, and it basically is deceptive communication and preying on someone's uh, sometimes emotional emotions and triggering to take certain actions to kind of gain access to a system. And so sometimes they can sit in a system um, and wait for you know the transactions. They'll sit in there for six months, uh, three months. They're, they're extremely patient when it comes to that, uh, and then then decide when to uh, when to strike. And they'll try to impersonate. The communication it's a set communication between you know two legitimate uh, parties to commit the, um, the the cyber crime yeah there's a lot uh, there's a lot a lot to it um, and so the best practices piece is and it, it's going to continue to change but those are just a couple a couple examples of what insurers are looking for uh, right now right so with my policy I have cyber liability and <laughs> The price keeps going up on it every year, by mm -hmm. the way. When I first signed yep. up for it, it was like really cheap. <laughs> um, and I haven't changed anything in the way that I do things other than just making my systems more secure. Yep. But the price is still going up. But one of the requirements is to have a, I think it's called a cyber risk plan. But it basically outlines these best practices and having like a an actual policy in your company about um how you're going to handle certain things. And if you're, you know, using two-factor authentication, requiring password changes every so often and things like that. So it can be really overwhelming as a solopreneur, be, yeah. <laughs> even like, I mean, I, I kind of still feel like a solopreneur, but I do have a team. It's a very small mm -hmm. team. Most of us are part-time, but it's still like the more hands you have, you have to just make sure that it is going to take time to, to lay out a policy like that, but it is really important. So is that something that you guys also require of your cyber liability customers? Yeah, it, it, it depends on the insurer, uh, really, whether they have that requirement or not. You know, as you kind of stated, for small businesses, it can be pretty burdensome. And 
in 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 a way it's like hey where do you where do you start with that so mm-hmm. um taking the approach of like if of, of saying hey i and i use a word <laughs> the, the term want loosely but i want this incident response uh, plan you know the, the the biggest benefit of it is to start thinking about it as yeah. thinking about the the exposures so it's it's not necessarily you know when something happens often that incident response it, it, it's never going to go how you uh, outlined it in that uh, document but yeah. what has happened is that you've you've already thought about some of the exposures and then you can disseminate some of the the, the vulnerabilities or the exposures to your your partners to your staff to your your tra- uh, to 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 other colleagues or or businesses who you work with and especially if there's and if you try to kind of flip it around in terms of the clients that you work with, if a client tells you, hey, here's my password, just log into my you know, bank account information, you know, do whatever you need to do. It's like you can kind of, they, they may not, either they may not be educated or, you know, you should view that as, hey, here's a, here's a vulnerability. You can flip it around and say, hey, I'm, I'm trying to educate you and say, you shouldn't be doing that. You should give me read-only access or, what, or whatever it is and, and try to, you're protecting yourself, but you're also providing a, maybe a bit of a value back to that uh, client and taking some of those, those items from the incident response plan can do exactly, uh, can do exactly that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good, a good point. Um, there are lots of clients that are very trusting of their bookkeepers or the banks that they work with don't have <laughs> the capability exactly. of doing statement only access. And that's when it comes down to, that's when it becomes also important to, it's kind of off topic, but to have banks that, you know, have those capabilities and that you can recommend to the client. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and um, yeah, it's uh, you, you just think of every, every platform, every, you know, login, every, every employee, every vendor, every partner you have represents uh, a potential vulnerability vulnerability. And so that uh, represents an entry point or a point of access to uh, to you to get closer to you and uh, exposes you potentially exposes you to a cyber security incident uh, so kind of think of it from that perspective and okay how do you sort of close or manage those uh, those loopholes um, as best as you can um, but um, yeah it's uh, Serena I just wanted to kind of circle back with you on you talking about uh, cyber pricing and cyber uh, premiums going up we are in this period right now in the insurance market where insurers haven't lost money in 2020 and now in 2021 is uh, mm-hmm. at the halfway market was worse than 2020 uh, for them. Um, so rates are going up uh, and there's, there's really three things that insurers are doing to take corrective action uh, with their portfolios. And it's, it's insurers across the board. Every single insurer is doing, uh, doing this. They, they, firstly, they're increasing their rates. Um, then they're determining determining uh, eligibility uh, requirements. I, who, who do they want as part of their portfolio? And then they're evaluating best practices. You know, do you have best practices in place? You know, about three to six months ago, I could go to an insurer and say, "I've got Serena. This is uh, this is her name, her business name. She's a bookkeeper. She generates X amount of revenue. Um, give me give me a quote option, and I, I could get easily could get quotes. Now that's that is." change dramatically where they where they are starting to ask some of these questions uh, that I sort of uh, <laughs> that I, that I highlighted well does she mm-hmm. do training does she have a you mentioned an incident response plan does she uh, uh, have multi-factor authentication uh, um, MFA 
in 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 place. Um, and so, if I think, if you think about risk management, you can't or risk management around cyber risk, you can't you can't think of those you know the education, the best practices, the insurance piece of it uh, independently anymore. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all related. And 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 the, you know, previously you could get an insurance policy without caring about the other two. And now insurers are kind of doing U turn saying, hey, we need you to think about these other two things before you even get an insurance policy. So for those bookkeepers who are starting uh, starting up, you know, as you start your practice, you know, start thinking, you know, start at the beginning, start, start thinking again, I'm not suggesting not to get an insurance policy because uh, there is an exposure from day one, mm-hmm. but there's a trade-off between, okay, how much does it cost? And, uh, and, uh, and have a budget budgeted for it. And what's, what's sort of my, my, my risk tolerance level. So, but what you can do from day one is you can start thinking about these uh, things. Uh, you can start thinking about, okay, what does backing up of data mean? You know, does it mean, you know, I've, uh, I've got everything on my on my laptop, and if the laptop crashes, you know I'm I'm in trouble. Or hey, I've got stuff in QuickBooks; it's uh, in the cloud. Or I, I download some of my uh, files in uh, Dropbox, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So start thinking about some of these things that, as you start building your business, your practice, that you can start implementing and trying to start it on the uh, with with uh, with with the right uh, with the right step. Yeah, that's really, really good to think about. Um, and as you were talking about that, I was thinking like backing up data. If you're working completely on the cloud, you might you might assume that you don't need to do any of that. Um, so I would love to hear your take on, um, would you recommend if all of your stuff is on the cloud, for instance, we're doing, we use Hubdoc and Zero, And so all of the... Um, all of our clients' receipts and statements and everything are in HubDoc as mm-hmm. well as well as Zero if they're attached to a transaction, so they're in two places. Um, but on some of our clients, we actually because you can back things up from HubDoc to a Dropbox or a Google Drive, um, and then we house all of our clients, um, like all of our work papers and everything, in Google Drive um, in the professional version, not the personal. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that something that you also recommend having duplicates in multiple cloud locations, or do you actually recommend uh, bookkeepers to still have like an external hard drive that they back everything up to? I'm very curious. Yeah. So it's, it, it becomes a business decision, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the reason why insurers are asking about the backup of information is not to prevent a cyber attack but it gives you options in the event you are you have you've incurred a cybersecurity incident. So let's just pick on ransomware. If your if your system is locked, your hardware and software is locked, and you can't get in, if you've got your information backed up, that gives you and the insurer an option of how to deal with that uh, uh, with that attack. So mm-hmm. you can throw away everything and say, hey, we're going to get brand new hardware um, because we we know we can retrieve all the information uh, and we're not going to pay the ransom. We don't want to pay the, uh, we don't want to pay the, uh, uh, the cyber criminals, right? So it gives you an option or you can just say, Hey, I'm going to pay the cyber criminals. If some of the data is uh, corrupted or damaged, we know we can still uh, back it up. And so if you think about, okay, how do you access that, uh, that backed up information? If it's a third party platform in the cloud, no, it's likely that HubDoc or, or someone else or zero is not compromised. So you could probably set that up pretty, uh, pretty easily and pretty uh, quickly or gain access to that uh, pretty easily. 
but there could be, it doesn't, it's not the HubDoc kind of fault, but what if, uh, if they've monitored you and, and they know how to access that information and then exfiltrate that information from, from, uh, from the cloud. So mm-hmm. think of it as like, hey, there's, if you have more, more layers in place of protection, it, it provides you with a greater degree of kind of security. But if you, you know, if, if, if you've got five different spots that you're downloading or backing up the backup of the backup, <laughs> does that, does that, you know, from a, does that make sense practically? Again, I'm not, I, I wouldn't dissuade anyone from, uh, from doing that. And that's why I said it becomes a bit of a, a business decision in terms of, okay, well, what's, what's, what is, what's not just efficient, but also practical, practical to implement. Right. With the like with backing things up from HubDoc to a Google Drive, that that can all be automated if you set it up correctly. And then I was kind yes. of thinking, so in those instances, it might make sense. <laughs> and that's something that we mm-hmm. always offer to our clients too. Is yes, we are holding all of this in HubDoc for you. We're attaching the receipts to the tra- the source transactions in Zero, but I would I still always recommend let's link it to your Google Drive or your Dropbox, so you always have a backup for it in case anything, if you ever need to retrieve it, but also like if our relationship ends, you don't have to like, it's just easier that way. You don't have to ever feel like your information is hostage um, or held hostage by us. If, you know, if something were to go awry or whatever. Um, So there's a lot of like kind of succession planning built into that too. And just, um, yeah, a lot of it does come down to assessing your own risk tolerance and what you're okay with. I mean, kind of like investing, right? You have to exactly. figure out what your risk tolerance is. How much would it set you back if you had to recreate three years worth of business records for a client, if all of your stuff was, you know, removed from, or your access was removed from it. Um, so I'm also thinking about instances where like, Gusto, for example, they're all on the cloud. We know that we can go back um, basically forever for all of our clients and download payroll reports. But one of the internal practices that we have is as soon as we run payroll, we download the PDF report to our Google Drive anyways. So that's a form of Mm -hmm. backing things up as well. Instead of just relying on that service provider's network always being up when you need it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So this has been really awesome. Uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to cover before our time is up today? Yeah. So, so there's one other critical piece in terms of the cyber insurance piece, which I haven't uh, covered yet. And that is, if you think about, you know, if you think back to the, you know, professional liability uh, policy, that tends to be a relatively standardized uh, insurance solution. Now there's a couple, there's a couple sort of bells and whistles to kind of think about when it comes to cyber insurance the the range of options is extremely uh, varied and and really what i mean by that is you know think about the trajectory or the evolution of cyber threats starting with the data breach and hacking event to things like ransomware or social engineering fraud uh, wire transfer fraud which are the newer or the emerged uh, threats not every insurance solution provides protection against all of those, uh, all of those things. So, oh. yeah. So when I speak to uh, clients and it can, doesn't have, you know, it can be a, a middle market accounting firm or a law firm, and they tell me they've got an insurance policy, a cyber insurance policy in place. 
they tell me they've got a professional liability policy in place, I know what that they're covered. But if they say I've got a cyber insurance policy in place, it actually means nothing to me until I read the policy language and until I identify what it means. And so I'll just pick on the bundled solutions because they tend to be not everyone and, and not, not for every single uh, market. There are some very good bundled solutions. But in general, the bundled solutions where they say, hey, get the ENO, the professional liability, and we'll throw in cyber for, for free or for $5 a month, um, they pen, tend to be the most uh, coverage deficient uh, mm. solutions. They won't cover you for ransomware. They won't cover you for wire transfer fraud or social engineering fraud. So be very vigilant about what, uh, you know, ask your agent, ask the broker, ask the insurer, hey, is ransomware covered? Hey, is, uh, and if they say yes, okay, is there a sublimit uh, to it? Is, um, is wire transfer fraud uh, covered? Is cyber crime covered? Is social engineering fraud or phishing covered? Um, and, you know, the, the more no responses you get, the worse it kind of, uh, mm-hmm. the worse it kind of is. Um, so my approach tends to be, I, I try to avoid with certain exceptions, avoid the bundled uh, solutions mm-hmm. and, look for standalone cyber insurance uh, solutions the standalone products tend to be better not a, they're, they're, again they're not equal uh, across the cross insurance but they tend to be uh, they tend to have more favorable coverage um, so it's in hey you know if someone says i'm gonna you know you can buy this for five dollars a month it's only going to give you a basic kind of coverage and you know that going into it and you know you shouldn't rely on this as your kind of comprehensive cyber insurance solution but you'd rather have that rather than than nothing, then mm-hmm. then that's fine. You know, just make an educated, uh, be be in a position to make an educated uh, decision around that. Right, and then um, maybe set a timeline of when you're going to like add this to your budget and get more comprehensive exactly. coverage. Yeah, exactly. And and so, and so so with those with 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 the the bookkeepers who are starting out to our work with, that's you know, the, the decision around cyber insurance, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't be getting it, but it's, it, it, it's a trade-off. And that's why I sort of categorize it. I'd like to have it. I just don't know when I'm going to get it a bucket that these, it, it, there, there's an exposure and you're trading in a virtual uh, capacity and, mm-hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah. So there's, so, so businesses are at risk. Um, but you're also mindful of, Hey, I'm, I might get you know some of the responses. Are, hey, I'll come back to you when I get my you know fifth, sixth, tenth client, uh, and I've got that cash flow kind of going. So, uh, which is you know, I started my own business, so I completely understand the insurance purchasing decision or the mm-hmm. the, the factors that go into it. Um, so, certainly not uh, judging my with when it comes to cyber insurance or cyber security. You know, my key objective is to kind of provide insights into what you should be thinking about what the differences are it's not as simple as saying hey i'm going to get a you know i'm going to get an you know insurance policy i'm 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 good with cyber it's like you the the devil is really in the details yeah it's the same with health insurance because we're exploring that too and i was discussing with my students the other day about that process and how i was (laughs) shopping around options uh because it, it, you know what, I'm just going to go out, go and say it is it's always going to be better to work with a broker that can shop around the policies for you mm-hmm. and help you understand. Uh, and that's yeah. what we're finding with health insurance as well, because I want to make sure that certain things are covered. Right. Exactly. Um, and learning how to, it's really hard to be a normal person and know how to read that kind of stuff. It's not fun. It's really boring. 
That's why you need to just work with an expert and have them help you explain it kind of, or have you help, help you interpret it kind of like we do with our clients. Like that's why they work Mm -hmm. with us. We're experts on the numbers. We can help explain them. Um, and I, I recommend everyone should work with a broker in health insurance and, um, business insurance as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. it'll probably be an easier journey. And then you will know that you don't have the gaps that you weren't expecting to have. And it, I mean, or it just helps you make an educated decision, right? You get a yeah. different perspective and uh, you can understand, okay, well, here's, here's one option and it means X, Y, Z. Here's another option. And you can, you know, certainly advocate shopping around every, uh, every now, now and again, uh, because that's what you, I mean, you got to make sure that the insurers remain honest. So and give you a fair deal. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So thank you so much for coming on here and helping break down all of this. I think it is going to be very valuable for all of the listeners. Um, and even for, for everyone to take back and, and kind of help their clients work through these kinds of risk management type things. We're used to helping manage risk when it comes to money and Mm -hmm. cash. Uh, but this is another way that you can add a little value is just like, ask the question of your clients. Do you have a insurance policy? and a cyber policy, because it's not, like you said, it's, it's operational now. It can happen to any, any type of business. So, uh, I, it's probably important for every type of business to have cyber. Yep. Is that correct? <laughs> correct. <laughs> cool. Unfortunately, it's here to stay. So yeah, I mean, everything is especially, I mean, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with everything being completely virtual through COVID. It was just like an opportunity that the hackers couldn't, couldn't pass up. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. For sure. So So awesome. Well, like I said, I will link all of your information in the show notes and for everyone listening, eventually Jock and I are planning on doing a Facebook live or something to have you bring questions. So as you've listened to this episode, if you want to re-listen and jot down some questions, uh, watch out for an email in the future, letting you know that we're going to, we're going to do a live Q and a, um, and do you have any final words, Jock? No, just thanks again for having me. And, uh, I know insurance is a bit of a a dry topic at times, but, uh, hopefully this has been valuable to, uh, to everyone listening and, uh, look forward to the, the, the Q and a session. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye. Bye, sweetie. Be ambitious.